welcome to the Five Aero Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the aviation industry. Uh, the news is coming thick and fast at the moment, and there is so much to discuss. We're going to start with the UK's announcement regarding border restrictions and hotel quarantine for those coming back into the UK. Then we're going to talk about Heathrow's request to the CAA for an increase in its charges. It's reporting season, so we're going to look at the numbers from the airlines and examine the knock-on effects for airports and air navigation service providers. Then we're going to revisit an old topic of slot allocations now that the new waiver has been announced. And finally, we're going to look at some better news regarding business travel coming back faster than we may have first expected. To help me cover all these stories, I'm joined by Graham Lake, Chris Tarry, and Peter Lyon from Five Aero. Hi gents, how are you all today? Very well, thank you, Andrew. Great shape, thanks. So we've all okay, let's get straight into it. So, Peter, let's go right back to the top and start with the UK's announcement regarding border restrictions and hotel quarantine. Um, I'm obviously here in Dubai, so I'm looking at this from the news, and it doesn't seem to be going all of that well. Yeah, the announcement has been a a long time coming, Andrew, hasn't it? Um, There's been talk about this uh, for almost 12 months now, Um, and the government has said just in the last couple of weeks uh, that it intends to set up a system of hotel quarantine, which would be similar to um, countries on the other side of the world from here, New Zealand, Australia, um, Hong Kong, Singapore, for example, have done exactly the same. And they've said that that, we're recording this on Monday the 8th, and they said it will be effective on Monday the 15th of February, so in a week's time. Uh, But we still haven't seen any details, and the hotel companies say they haven't seen any details. And when last I checked, the government was still asking for assistance in how to set this up. Just in the media a couple of hours ago, there is the suggestion that they may have changed their mind again and they're coming under some pressure instead of putting people in hotels to use GPS tracking, uh, which again is in use in various other parts of the world. But I suspect there would be some political debate about that in terms of people's privacy, etc. Chris, we've talked about this so much, haven't we, about the impact of quarantine and pre-departure testing on on travel in general. I suppose it's such a difficult issue, isn't it, isn't it, that we look at somewhere like New Zealand where this has been successfully implemented and, you know, you see sports stadiums that are full of, um, full of fans, you see people operating their life as normal, and then you try and weigh that up with the importance of aviation and the sector to the overall UK economy. This is not an easy call for government, is it? Because the knock-on implications of doing this are, are significant to the industry and tourism and the overall UK economy as a whole. Well, Andrew, yes, we, sort of, as uh, lawyers tend to say, we are where we are. And uh, there has been recognition that perhaps the borders should have been shut um, when this first arose 12 months ago. Uh, what people want is certainty. And um, if you get certainty, confidence will come back. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's about as clear as mud in some respects at the moment. Um, But I think what is clear, and we'll talk about it later on in in the podcast, I'm sure, uh, about the nature and the shape of recovery. I I think we've probably all had enough about saying, you know, it's uh, bad in the first quarter and it's uh, it's uh, we're we're probably at the bottom. Uh, Let's look at how it's going to recover and why it's going to recover. And Peter, there are valid arguments on either side of this, aren't there? That there is a, a reason why Heathrow are requesting these increases. But similarly, the CAA does have a valid argument for pushing back. Absolutely. And any person or organisation which suddenly finds themselves short of money, the first reaction is to try and um, 
increase the flow from the normal source so if you're an airport um, you'll try and get more money out of your users which are the airlines um, obviously the airlines don't really have that option at the moment they can't exactly go to their customers and say we want you to pay more for your flying because nobody is flying at the moment so I think most people would um, probably conclude that it would be fair if the airlines take a hit the airports take a hit and the air navigation service providers take a hit as well the question is who bears what what share of that um, what's intriguing here is that the biggest user of Heathrow Airport is the international airlines group IAG uh, which owns companies such as BA and Iberia and their largest shareholder um, is the Qatari state and the Qatari state is also one of the largest shareholders in Heathrow Airport Limited um, so there must be some um, very intriguing uh, backroom conversations going on I would imagine at the moment. I suppose that just does underline you know we talk about the the global nature of the airline industry or the aviation industry and People understand that planes fly everywhere, but it really is a, a global market. And the investors into this industry come from all over the world, don't they? They do. Um, the other major shareholder um, in Heathrow is a Chinese uh, investment company. And one of the biggest um, stakeholders in some of the airports in Europe um, is a Canadian pension fund. Um, so, yeah, it's very much spread around the world. Well, I imagine they are all going to be very focused at the moment because it is reporting season as well. Now, we have seen some numbers come out of airlines that are, you know, that underline the severity of the problem that the industry is now facing. But also that has knock-on effects for the airports and for air navigation service providers. Chris, what are we seeing out of the numbers from the airlines? Okay, well, I don't think there are any real surprises um, depending on what your starting point is. And we've heard some management say, well, they're in line with their own expectations. Well, that's not particularly helpful. It's more, more, probably more what the market uh, is expecting. But you know, just a sort of very simple look over EasyJet, Ryanair and Wiz that we've uh, had over the last week or so. Um, and just comparing them and look, looking at how uh, each has sort of reacted to the change on the revenue side, uh, and what it's meant for their costs. And, uh, you know, and very simply put over the last um, sort of uh, four quarters, so starting off at the quarter ending the 31st of uh, um, March last year, um, in, on a euro basis, I estimate that uh, the operating loss, uh, the cumulative operating loss for EasyJet has been about 1.3 uh, billion euros. Uh, for Ryanair, it's just over three quarters of a billion euros. And for Wizz Air, it's just under half a billion euros. Now, these are the figures in there uh, taken from their uh, own company reports. But again, we can sort of look into it and behind it and look at where the cash costs are and look at the um, uh, look at where the variables and uh, where the fixed costs are, are and how the change has been. But I think what's equally important, you know, so we've got a snapshot of what's happened, but it's always in interesting and important to take a view on what management is saying for the future. And here we've seen Ryanair being very, very clear that it is the worst time in their 35-year history, uh, and they're guiding um, uh, the industry to uh, a pre-exceptional net loss of between 850 billion and 900, 850 million and 950 million euro. 
Uh, and again, uh, we've seen um, Boeing's figures, we've seen uh, Rolls-Royce's trading statement. And um, again, looking, you know, we, we can see where we are now, it's how it's going to recover. And Boeing saying it's going to take multiple years before they get back to delivery rates that they had before. They recognise it's going to be even longer uh, for wide-bodied aeroplanes to come, uh, come back. And then we look at that through the system and in the Rolls trading statement, their view now is instead of it coming back to 70%, of what it was uh, in 2019 in the current year in 2021. They're now, their figure now is around about 55%. So again, it's taking what I would call the Vox Pop uh, and feeding that into what are scenarios. They can't be preferred models by any means at the moment. And the other interesting thing is to look when companies come out at um, you know, what is said about the working capital statement uh, and going concerns. So um, lots of things to read and there will be as we go over the next few weeks too. The mind boggles at the size of those numbers and Graham, that's not linked, that's not isolated just to the airlines themselves, is it? There's the whole mechanism of the, the aviation industry. What does that mean for the airports and the ANS providers? Uh, Andrew, you're absolutely right. Um, what's interesting at the moment is the International Civil Aviation Organization has recently published the revenue impacts to both airports and air navigation service providers globally. They publish these figures in US dollars. Uh, and what we see is that airport revenues are down about 61% on the full year 2020 versus 2019. And in ANSP terms, it's between 60 and 70% down. Um, in numbers, it, these are just eye-watering figures. The airports have lost a whisker under $100 billion of revenue, $97.4 billion according to ICAO. The ANSPs uh, paint a slightly different picture uh, because the overall revenue loss is uh, again a whisker under 13 billion uh, US dollars, 12, 12 billion 932 million and, and change, um, which is about, uh, as I said, 60 or 70 percent of the global revenue. But actually, Europe makes up seven and a half billion dollars worth of that in uh, US dollar terms, and that's an indication of the high number of relatively small countries and international borders in the European domain. And we see that Europe has been affected. Uh, to a greater extent, European aviation has been affected to a greater extent than, for example, in China or Russia or the US or Brazil, large uh, countries physically with large domestic markets. So that's one reason why Europe is suffering. And for ANSPs, uh, as I mentioned, nearly $7.5 billion of revenue loss. What does that mean at the local level? Well, in here in the UK, for instance, uh, NATS, the provider, is down about $660 million for 2020. Uh, France, 973 million. Germany, 863 million. Spain, 548. These are big numbers. And with ANSPs, uh, the majority of their cost is actually staff, labour, air traffic controllers and support staff, about 65%. So their ability to lose uh, cost uh, also involves losing capability, losing capacity, and there's a there's a conundrum there for the ANSPs. You know how far do they shrink their staff levels because it takes a long time to bring those numbers back up again in number of years, uh, and to what extent do they reduce their capital expenditure? And again, these are organisations that have very long term capital plans to uh, provide infrastructure for uh, the decade ahead. So the impact here is quite profound uh, and, uh, you know, shouldn't be ignored for sure. And, and so then structurally, is it more difficult for an ANS to turn down costs? Because it, it's quite obvious with a, an airline or an, an airport, you know, airlines can stop flying. 
airports, could close terminals. To what extent can ANS providers really turn off that tap and, and reduce their cost base? Well, it's much more difficult for the ANS providers simply because of uh, it, it, the, the high number of staff they have to provide the service that they they have. So obviously you get into union, union uh, arrangements and you get in. But more important, the thing that concerns them most, I think, is the ability to ramp back up as and when traffic returns. And of course, because nobody knows when traffic will return and the predictions we have seen have always ended up being over optimistic. Um, they have been reluctant to uh, remove staff, but some have done that. Uh, they've certainly turned down the capital investment programs as well. But I think this year we're going to see more of that. In fact, I think we have to see more of that uh, because it's clear that numbers are not going to come back uh, anything like quick enough. Eurocontrol uh, recently reissued uh, their latest forecast um, which is showing traffic staying around 50% of 2019 for the duration of 2021. So uh, it, it, th that's the challenge that they have, not knowing when traffic is going to come back. And once they've um, uh, taken capacity out of the system, it, it's out. It doesn't come back easily. And just on that issue of traffic and when it's going to come back and the impact of it, um, Chris, we've seen that we've now had a new waiver for slot allocations. Um, was that expected and, and what's the impact of it? I think, as you say, Andrew, what we've had is the 80-20 um, rule being suspended again for another season. And uh, what it uh, essentially means is that you don't have to satisfy um, essentially the regulator that you operate the slot 80% of the time within that season to be able to have that right to use it in the subsequent season. So what it means is that uh, instead of uh, throwing it open to others to come in, you can protect your position uh, until um, uh, things uh, return more to normal. Now, there's an increasing debate of whether uh, or the extent of this, um, this actually uh, will distort behaviour and uh, to who, uh, who who will be disadvantaged as a result. Now, if, if you're sitting on a pile of slots and you can't use them, of course, um, that's uh, positive for you because it protects your position in the future. Um, but I, I, I think uh, over time, uh, we will see um, some challenge to this. Um, maybe not this summer, but it will be ex post as well because it, it does act to distort the market. What we're also seeing, uh, which is quite interesting, we saw it in the case of Lufthansa and it's been muted in the case of um, Air France as well, that uh, state aid is linked to giving up slots. And uh, in the case of Lufthansa, uh, they were required to give up slots um, at uh, Frankfurt and uh, Munich. And uh, in the case of um, uh, Air France KLM, there's a story that was running uh, this last week that um, uh, support, if the French government was to provide support, then uh, 24 pairs of slots would have to be given up at Orly. So uh, a lot of movement in this area. I, I was going to say, it's interesting. This is a really interesting area of the, the aviation industry. And I suppose the first slot waiver you can understand and the, the second extension, fine. But where do we come down on this point? At what stage do we start to say, well, this is actually now stifling competition for, you know, we've talked before about where you get disrupted markets or you get new entrants. It is actually stopping people who could come into the market and help the overall um, restart, but they can't get in because these slots are being blocked. Well, I, I, I would just make one other observation, then I'll hand over to Peter um, for, for a sort of very practical exposition. But what we've we've seen some slot trades, if you like. We saw um, Ryanair 
uh, acquire uh, 321 pairs of slots, I think it was, at Stansted that Ryanair had, uh, sorry, that EasyJet had. Um, I cannot find in, uh, in the report so far what consideration uh, was uh, involved around that. Um, but uh, Ryanair talks about placing uh, seven airplanes uh, more in Stansted, it would appear, or uh, seven aircraft um, equ equivalents. So, um, yeah, we're seeing that. And, uh, you know, if we look at the slot trades, um, it is happening. We've seen uh, Norwegian um, dispose of some slots at Gatwick to uh, EasyJet and also Norwegian slots that had been leased to it from EasyJet and British Airways returned to British Airways and EasyJet. But from a sort of very practical point of view, Peter, I, what, what, what views do you have on that? I think the pressure will only start to mount when there is a need for the slots, to be honest, Andrew. So if you saw airlines starting to expand or new airlines come to the market and they couldn't get slots at a congested airport, then they would start putting pressure on the regulators and on politicians. But at the moment, we're still going in the reverse direction. Um, the latest speculation I saw a couple of days ago is that Manchester Airport is going to close overnight. Southampton Airport is closing at the weekends. So we're still, um, we're either flatlining or we're still going downhill here. And until we see significant recovery, I don't think that pressure will be brought to bear. I go out for my morning walk under the Heathrow flight path and um, we're on easterlies at the moment at Heathrow because of the beast from the east. Um, and you start to see one or two more airlines um, coming in during the day, but over the space of a couple of hours yesterday I saw eight aircraft land and previously um, that would have been nearer 80 than eight. So we're a way off, is my view. I suppose that's really a, a bigger point, isn't it? That especially in the UK, to less of an extent in Europe, but you know the vaccines are being rolled out and people maybe were at, at least the beginning of the end and we don't know where that end is, but we shouldn't get a, a, a ahead of ourselves here. The, the aviation industry is continuing and will continue to really suffer until we can get borders open and until we can get passengers traveling freely again and the road back is a, is a very long one or it looks that way at the moment andrew you're, you're absolutely right and the industry continues to hemorrhage cash and um, again looking through the reports that are coming out in detail um, you know one of, the, one of the things that's missing uh, is cash in advance of carriage if you've got no confidence of when you're going to be able to travel in the summer um, you're not going to book now uh, and, you know, one of the real issues for, for this year uh, is where this um, ad additional cash is going to come through we've, uh, from. Um, yes, we've got uh, airlines um, that have got uh, a lot of access to, well, some airlines have got access to liquidity uh, through debt. Uh, it's now about restrengthening the balance sheets and it's about equity, uh, in, in, in my view. And, um, you know, we, we, we're at the bottom now. Uh, the issue, as we were saying earlier, is where the turning, you know, how that turns and how it recovers and how quickly it recovers. I think, Andrew, you've highlighted a really important point there because we've just been talking about the proposal of the United Kingdom to close its borders or very much restrict them. So we haven't actually got to the point where we've closed the borders yet. So how can we start talking about opening them again? And this is the point that the airlines are saying. It's all very well for people to take decisions restricting travel. Mm. But unless you are clear about what criteria you're going to use and what metrics you're going to try and hit in order to open them up again, people are not going to have the confidence uh, to book. 
and we are in danger here of having five winters in a row um, in terms of airline revenue, um, which will not be good. And so it's going to be a long road back for the industry. Now, as we round out today's podcast, we have started to see, and it is anecdotal, but some information and some discussion about that business travel may come back faster than we first thought. Now, here on Five Aero, we've always said that leisure and travel, as soon as quarantines are lifted and demand is, uh, uh, borders are open and, and people can fly again, leisure and tourism travel will come back really quickly. We saw that last year. As soon as the restrictions were lifted, demand came back instantly. But we'd always talked about business travel being much more difficult, You know, not least now people can do so much more on Teams or Zoom, um, the cost of business travel and the, and the economic and the economic shock but that we're starting to just hear things that it might not be as bad as that we might see business come back slightly quicker peter what what are we hearing we're just starting to see um discussion andrew with one or two financial services companies and professional services companies which um seem to be warming up their teams to the fact that they they may be traveling for business purposes a bit earlier um, than was originally thought but I think when we say that we're talking about later on this summer whereas it was previously thought that maybe that would have to wait till the winter or even um, next year and in fact one or two airlines have started to announce um, some relaxations um, in the restrictions they put upon um, their customers. Uh, Cathay Pacific and Qatar Airways have both said that if you're traveling um, in their first and business class cabins, um, if your if your bed is fully extended and you're trying to sleep or you are sleeping, there is no requirement um, to wear your mask anymore. So I think that might just encourage a bit more discretionary travel, but not until we've clarified all of these restrictions about quarantining mm-hmm. on arrival and tests before departure, etc., that is the um, critical set of issues that need to be addressed first. I suppose um, from my own personal experience, I was lucky enough to go on my first business trip last week. So I was away for four nights and it was the first time I travelled uh, since January last year. Um, and I, I would just kind of echo that, that what it really reinforced to me is that uh, we do say you can do a lot through Teams and you can do a lot through you know emails and phone calls nothing replaces the face-to-face meeting when you're trying to build relationships or you're at the start of a process. I I suppose that gives me a little bit of confidence that, yeah, when we get through this, business travel will come back because we're sociable beings and it's so important to be in front of people, particularly when you're trying to do deals or transactions. Just on your comment around the, uh, the masks, I can safely say that uh, I had the virtually the entire, I was lucky enough to be flown business class and I virtually had the entire cabin to myself. So wearing a mask or not wearing a mask wasn't really that much of a problem. Anyway, I suppose it's another thing that we have to continue to look at and monitor in uh, on the Five Aero podcast. Gents, it's been another great discussion. We'll be back in a couple of weeks time for more discussion around this fascinating industry. But until then, I'll say goodbye. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Andrew.